Flint Hill Baptist Church exists to glorify God by gathering, growing, giving, and going in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Find out more at flinthill.net. This morning, we're going to take a little bit of a turn uh, for weeks now. I mean, almost four months we've been looking at encountering God in His Word. And, uh, and let me just say uh, thank you. Um, to, to all of you. I mean, there were so many of you here uh, that are here this morning, some that aren't here this morning, that just served the Lord so faithfully Wednesday night. Uh, just a beautiful picture of uh, just representing and welcoming the community here, and uh, just a beautiful thing. I mean, it's just a wonderful demonstration of God's grace being made manifest through His people. And I just, uh, just want to say thank you. Uh, and I mean that because some of you couldn't be here, prayed for that night. Uh, but many of you were here doing all kinds of different things in different ways. And some of y'all did things behind the scenes that no one knows. You might have came up early and couldn't be here that night, whatever it is. Just, I, I just want to say thank you. Uh, and, and, I, and I'm so proud of you as a fellowship willing to do uh, something even as simple as a fall festival that demonstrates to people around us that we care for you, we love you. Very clearly the gospel was put forth in so many different ways and I just am so thankful uh, for your willingness to do that. Uh, this morning, well, we're gonna, I'm going to introduce something to you. Lord willing, we're going to come back into this in January, uh, Lord willing. Uh, but, I, but I wanted to share with you what I'm calling a recipe for a healthy church. A recipe for a healthy church. Now, when I say that, I'm not much of a cooker. I don't even know if that's a good word. I'm, that's probably not a good word. Paula's laughing at me. That's not even a good word. I don't bake much. I don't cook much. Uh, we're not. Uh, in fact, Kara's probably the best one of the best cooks in the house. Uh, some years ago, she started baking things. Uh, and, when, and when I started thinking about this, I mean, it's, it was my conversation with her that got me thinking about a recipe for a healthy church and about essential ingredients for that, for that recipe. What, what, would it, what, what do we need to have to be a healthy church? And so I'm glad you asked. The first thing that I'm going to share with you this morning uh, is grace. Grace. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter Three and I and I know I can I'm already going to tell you normally I'll I'll be in one primary scripture uh, and I'm going to be kind of in several places here, but in Romans uh, chapter three verse twenty three and twenty four the scripture says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus grace grace grace. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, if you're with me on Wednesday night, uh, we've been in the book of Ephesians for some time, chapter 1, verse 7. It says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. MacArthur says, By definition, a gift is something given freely, un unearned, unmerited by the recipient. God's greatest gift is that of salvation through His Son, given completely out of His divine grace. If righteousness came through, comes through the law, that is, through human fulfillment of God's divine standard, in other words, if you could be good enough, if I could be good enough to do everything that God wanted me to do by definition in, in His law, Paul declares that Christ died needlessly in Galatians chapter 2. In other words, there's no reason to have Christ die on a cross if we could be found in favor with God by our own 
fulfillment of His Word. But, but God knew that we, we couldn't, and we couldn't, and we can't. The Bible says all of us, all of us have sinned and fallen short. We've all missed the mark. We never measure up. Even the good folks that are in the house this morning, and I'm sure there's a lot of good people. Your goodness is not going to get you to heaven. Your goodness won't earn you the right of passage into forgiveness and in eternal uh, 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 heaven, eternity with the Lord. It, it never has, never will. The law itself actually reveals what? God's righteousness and exposes our unrighteousness. I mean, if you want to see how good you really are, just walk through the Ten Commandments. I mean, and if you really want to take it another step further... Uh, you know, I mean, you may not have killed someone. I mean, you may have. I mean, you never know who's in the house. I mean, you never know. And there's always forgiveness by the grace of God. But, but Jesus, you get into the New Testament, Jesus said, if you're even angry with somebody, good night, he takes it to another whole place. And at that point, you're like, oh my goodness, how, how can I fulfill this law? And the truth is, you can't. You can't. Um, the gift that God of God's grace cost God the suffering and death of his own son on the cross. So that for the believer, there's nothing left to pay. His death paid it all. Well, that's a, that'd be a good song. There's several good songs going to come out. I mean, he, he paid it all. In other words, I can't pay that kind of debt. I can't satisfy that kind of debt. There's no way. It's God's grace. It's been said that grace is God's righteousness at Christ's expense. It's all about God's grace. Grace, here it is, that's greater than all our sin. Another good song. Grace, grace, God's grace. In, in other words, uh, to be a healthy church means there's a big dose of God's grace. Man, we need God's grace. And I know as a sinner saved by the grace of God, I need God's grace, yes, for salvation, but not just grace for salvation, but grace to live by. I, I, I've got to be just brutally honest with you. Sometimes, uh, well, let, let me say it this way. Uh, I mean, some of y'all know my story. I didn't grow up in church at all. And so when I heard the gospel for the first time, I mean, there was, I didn't debate it. I didn't, I didn't have, Mr. Bearden didn't have to try to convince me. He just shared John 3, 16, walked down that Romans road a little bit. And um, I, I knew real well that I was not good in so many different ways. I mean, I knew I was, I'd, I'd done a lot of wrong things in my life. I knew that. And so, I mean, at that point, I didn't argue I just acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I mean, I, mean, I, mean, I, I, I may not have even understood the word fully, what that meant, but I knew that I'd done wrong. That means you missed the mark. You don't measure up. I'm not going to make it on my own merit, and I knew that. But then he walked down that road of, of, of salvation by grace alone, through faith, and by Jesus Christ alone. And I'm like, yes, Lord. Two weeks later, yes, Lord. Called out to the Lord. God, I need you. There's no way I can do this on my own. I hope you share that same testimony, regardless of where you came from, your upbringing, or whatnot. It, it, it is for all of us to acknowledge, I can't do this on my own. The only way to be saved is through God's grace, through His, by faith, through, through what Christ did on the cross. And I acknowledge that. But oftentimes, I seem to, as a believer, and again, don't judge me. Well, you can. It doesn't matter. You can. I'm probably judging you, too. It's okay. I'm judging. I'm judging. Just being honest with you this morning. But sometimes I picked up the, the Christian life mantle. And I felt like, well, I, I've got this. I got it. I'm okay. I don't know if it's just being a man. No offense, men in the house. Like I'm a little like, oh, I got this. Uh-uh, I'm okay. I can do this. Oh, yeah, 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 man. I can go to church. I can read my Bible. Hey, man, don't worry about me. I got it. 
And, and, and without even realizing it, I mean, almost to the Lord saying, I got this, it's okay, it's okay. Yeah, I'm saved by grace, but I don't live by my own strength, by my own ability, by my own works. And what I realized also, and listen, I'm, I'm a slow learner. Man, I've fallen flat on my face so many times. I mean, God is so gracious that he'll let me just keep walking down the road and going, Jay, I'm, he's going to come back to me in a moment. Come on. There's a reason why the Lord's picture with that staff. You know what I'm talking about? You know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in one. Y'all know that. Y'all seen that picture? There's a reason why he's got that staff. It's practical. Sometimes his sheep, now I don't know if you like him calling his sheep, but sometimes his sheep wander. Prone to wonder. What does he reach out there? Come on, boy. Get, snatches that neck and says, come on back over here. Sometimes the sheep don't get moving. I don't know if you've been around sheep. They're kind of just, they'll just sit there. As long as they got something to eat, they just sit there. They won't even move. He takes the other end of it. Pop! Pops him on the rear end. So come on, let's go. I can't tell you how many times in my life I, I, I just, I, 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 I say one thing, but then my life says, you know, Lord, I'm okay. I'll be all right. Friend, listen, grace, grace, God's grace is meant not just for salvation, but for daily living. We need a big dose of God's grace. A healthy church understands, to, yes, I'm saved by grace, but I live by grace as well. There, listen, listen to this word. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I ask you this? Do you consider yourself a sinner saved by the grace of God or a saint that sometimes sins? Let me, let me say that again. Are you a sin, do you consider yourself a sinner saved by the grace of God or a saint that sometimes sins? Paul said to the Ephesian Christians, what did he say in the address? Y'all remember this? Y'all with me? He called them what? Huh? Saint Gavin. Been a little, you know, funny there. Y'all know, y'all ain't with me. I know it's 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 penetrating, and I know I'm with you. Listen, because listen, <laughs> I love, don't you love when people talk back to you? <laughs> I mean, it's just wonderful. It's wonderful. Can we just can we be honest here? Sometimes I live like I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God, where God is saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa I don't look at you that way anymore." I have clothed you with a new life, with a new robe, with a new heart, with a new mind, with a new destiny, moving in a new direction. You're not the same. You're a child of God, living by the grace of God. Boy, that's a totally different mindset. We need a whole lot of grace. We need a we we personally, JJ needs a whole lot of grace, and so do you. And being together, we just kind of sang about being the body of Christ. You know what a healthy church needs? A big dose of grace. Good night. God's grace. Amen? I mean, we do. Some of y'all saying, mm -hmm, he needs a whole lot more. You know, you know, I know what you're thinking. I know. I know what you're thinking. And we do. We all do. I know. I know. But we let me say it this way. A healthy church is full of God's grace. God's grace. God's grace. Grace that is greater than all my sin. Thanks be to God. The second thing, essential ingredient, is truth. Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 4. Y'all remember this. I preached on the Samaritan woman some time ago. And, and when we talk about truth, Jesus said this to her in John chapter 4 verse 23. 
In 24, he says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. MacArthur says, worship must be internal, not external conformity to ceremonies or, rule, ceremonies or rules. In other words, the Samaritan woman, the Jewish people, they had their festivals. They had their rules. I mean, lots of rules. There were rules on how to enter into the house of the Lord. There were rules on what you do and don't do. I mean, they were at the wazoo. The Pharisees had a book of rules, of, of laws that they built on, on top of laws. On what you, a good Jewish person would do or not do. Listen, listen, we have our own rules as well, do we not? I mean, I know we do. Come on now. Every, every one of us sitting here this morning has a list of rules in your mind what a good Christian is, what a good Christian is not. In fact, we ain't got rules even coming into the house of the Lord this morning. All churches have rules. I mean, they're not necessarily good or bad. Listen, you stand up a certain time, you sit down a certain time. And if you mess it up, it's like, oh my, what are we doing here this morning? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? It's like, wait a minute. I remember visiting the church one time, and they all went down to kneel. And I'm like, wait, we're not used to doing this in my church. What are we doing? We're all kneeling at this place. It's like, okay, we're all going to, I mean, but we all have those rules. And he said, look, worship isn't made of a list of rules. He says it's internal. It must be from the heart. Truth. Truth calls us, what? This heart worship to be consistent with the Scripture. Take your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Timothy. I know I'm taking you on a little journey. It's like Bible drill time. I think I asked y'all that one time. Y'all remember? I said I don't because I wasn't in church back then. You know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all know. Bible drill time. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Y'all know this scripture. Because when the scripture talks about scripture, uh, in verse 16, chapter 3, verse 16, 2 Timothy, it says, All scriptures God breathed is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that why the man of God, the woman of God, the child of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Scripture is God-breathed. Uh, the word, it's a fancy word, theonoustos. Say that three times. Inspired by God. Literally means breathed out by God or simply God breathed. That's the word used here to refer to Scripture. He says all Scripture in the context here. He's talking to him about the Scripture that Timothy learned from infancy. That would have been the Jewish, what we call the Old Testament. He's saying all the Old Testament, all of what's even now, these letters inspired by God given through, yes, human instrument. He said all Scripture is God breathed, literally Breathe out of the breath of God, out of the mouth of God. Sometimes in the Old Testament, in Jeremiah 1, 9, chapter 1, verse 9, he told Jeremiah, he said, Behold, I put my words in your mouth. So literally, it's almost like dictated to him what he's going to say, how he's going to say it. However, God's divine truth, his word, more often flowed through the mind, heart, souls, and emotions of his chosen instruments, his human instruments. I'll go back to David, Psalm 23, one of the most famous passages. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not be in want. He'll lead me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. I mean, the whole imagery there of the shepherd and the sheep, he was a shepherd. God used that to mold him and to shape him to understand there's a bigger picture, right, of, of how I relate to you personally. 
God divinely superintended the accurate recording of His divine truth, breathed out by Himself to divinely chosen men. In a supernatural way, He provided this Word so that any person, any any child, can be led by the Holy Spirit of God to understand sufficiently what it means to be saved. This whole, what we call the Scriptures, one whole story of God's redemption of humanity. We all sinned and fell short. And here we, we have the Word of God, inspired, breathed by the, by the mouth of God. Even on Wednesday night, if you've been with me, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13 is what? The Word of God is living and active. Why, why, how can we say that? How can we even acknowledge that? Because the one who breathed this into existence is still alive today. Speaking, speaking. God uses His Word to speak clearly. We need His truth, His Word in our hearts. His truth keeps me in line. I mean, good night. When I came to know Christ, I didn't know what it meant to be a Christian. I didn't know what it meant to be a follower of Christ. How did I come to know that? I remember, I remember a, a early on in 1989. Some of y'all remember this. That whole, that whole uh, devotional series called Back to the Basics. Some of y'all might have remembered this in Disciple Nows if you went to some of that. I mean, it was talking about just the basics of prayer, of Scripture memory, and just seeking the Lord, hearing from the Lord. I mean, just the basics of walking with the Lord. How do we know that? Because we open up His Word. I mean, the Scripture says His Word is a lamp to my feet and a light in my path. Do we want to know which way to go? Then listen to the Lord through His Word. Open up His Word. This truth, this Word is what God couples with grace that enables me and you to worship Him intimately and personally. As MacArthur said, from the heart. If there's anything worship ought to be, it ought to be from the heart. Good night. Good night. I mean, I, you remember in Revelation, Jesus said, I'd rather, you, I'd rather be hot or cold. Don't be lukewarm up in the house of the Lord. He said, I'd vomit you out of my mouth. I'd rather, it's like drinking sour milk. Just comes right back out. I mean, the Lord said, I want you to be hot. In worship, we ought to be passionate, personal, intimate worship. How do we get there? Because God's Word just soaks into my life, cleanses my heart, right? Convicts me, corrects me, instructs me. And, 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 and listen, I don't, know, I don't know what you think about those words. You might hear those words and go, mm, that's rough. And it might be a little rough. But let me remind you, it's through the Word of God that God reminds you that He is love. And He has a plan and a purpose for your life. That he has given you everything you need for life and godliness. It's the same word that says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you want to walk in the freedom, in the, in the freedom of who God is, you better have this word living inside of you and me. So for a healthy church, a healthy church, big old dose of grace. But coupled with that is the truth of God's word. I will say this, grace without truth leads to hypocrisy. Truth without grace leads to arrogance and pride, hypocrisy. Remember what, remember, remember what he said to the Pharisees? By far in the first century, the Pharisees were the most religious people on the scene. They had more of what we call the Old Testament committed to memory than I dare say. I, and I don't know you personally. I mean, there might be some of you in here that have the whole first five books of the Old Testament committed to memory. That would have been just commonplace. Most of what we call the major minor prophets, they would have had committed to memory. The most of those psalms that we sing and occasionally quote, they would have had them committed to memory. They would have been part of their religious 
uh, festivals and they had them. I mean, it was just so much of their word. And you would think, how in the world is it possible for someone to know so much of God's word and miss Christ? How is it possible someone can be so religious, so religious, and miss a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and miss the Messiah? I mean, I know we look back on them and we're kind of judgy and we make all kind of judgments about them. But how is it possible? Even so, let's talk about it today. That I can be so full of coming together, so full of religious activity, and miss a passionate personal relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ. How is that possible? Jesus said you've got to worship in spirit and truth. He said, look, truth without a relationship leads to arrogance. He, he made this statement to the Pharisees. Jesus did. Take it up with him. Matthew chapter 23, he called them what? Whitewashed tombs. He said, you clean up the outside, but the inside's dead as can be. Now, it's interesting, Paul, in, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, when he describes us, all of us here, he said we were dead. We were dead. We were dead in our sin until Christ stepped in. That's what Jesus said to Nicodemus, the most religious person in that, in that whole discourse in John's gospel. And what did he say? He said, Nick, you've got to be born again. Just because we're religious, because we have a lot of truth, doesn't mean that we have a personal, passionate relationship. But please hear me, a healthy church has a big old dose of grace coupled with the truth of God's Word. And when those two things come together, it moves me and you to be intimate and personal, passionate in my worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we gather, it ought to be personal and it ought to be passionate in our worship. And it leads me to this third ingredient. Essential. Love. Love, love, love. Now, when I was talking to Kara about this um, idea of a recipe for a healthy church, because I mean, I, I, mean, I kind of went out there a little bit and I thought, man, what if I could make something up while I'm preaching? And I thought, there's no way I can do that. I mean, I did. I thought, there's no way. I'm going to get sidetracked. I'll lose my place. Then I thought, well, what can I make up and eat? You know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, if we're going to make it, we might as well eat it. And I thought about edible cookie dough. Now, I don't know if y'all like, I don't, know if y'all, I don't even know if y'all like edible cookie dough whatsoever. So, so actually, we went, they went to the store and got the, got the ingredients. So I was kind of practicing that thing up and, you know, in the base of it and all that stuff. And I, and I asked Kara, I said, Kara. I said, uh, but I mean, I don't want just any kind of cookie dough, man. We gotta have it sweet. I got a big sweet tooth. If you don't know that, and she and she said, well, you need to you need to put some chocolate in there. Ooh, some chocolate chip cookie dough. I said that was good. So I looked at that recipe, and it said it said one third cup. Now I've got this big old bag of chocolate chips, and I filled up this little bitty cup, and I put it in there, and I thought, well, that's surely not enough love. Oh, I'm pouring that thing on in. Certainly they meant two-thirds of the bag. I stirred it up and I had a little bit of cookie dough with my chocolate. That's the way I like it. Now, in truth, listen to me, we need a whole lot of love in the house of the Lord. To be a healthy church, that means the church that loves. I'll take your Bibles real quick. I, I know. I'm jumping all over. Don't worry, we'll come back and we'll sit down on some of these places. I love it when the Lord kind of summarizes a whole bunch of Scripture. Matthew chapter 22. The reason why I say we need a whole lot of love, and, 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 and it is true, is because the Lord said it as well. 
In chapter 22, verses 34, uh, he had uh, Pharisees get together. An expert in the law came and tested him. Uh, and in verse 36, he asked him this question. He said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, I, I've already told you they had a whole bunch of laws, a lot of different laws. In addition to the law of Scripture, they had all kinds of other things. And so any good Pharisee, any good religious leader would have already summated or had a summary of what was the most important. They all had their little degrees of importance and all that stuff. And so Jesus, who, who put himself forth as a teacher and everybody believed that and followed him, then certainly he has some kind of summation of what is really the most important when it comes to the law. So in verse 37, I love this. Jesus replied, here it is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now here's what gets me. All the law, all the prophets hang on these two commands. He reached back through the annals of time, all those years of history, and just gathered up what we'd call the whole Old Testament and summarized it in this, these two verses. He said, do you mean to summarize what's most important? Here it is. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And you know what else? Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything, everything in the Word of God here finds its fulfillment in this, these, these two verses. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Luke adds, with all your strength. In this one moment, Jesus quotes what any Jewish person would have known. He's, it's the Shema. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where this verse is found, it would have started with, Hear, O Israel. In other words, that would have been the way. They, this was a widely read scripture. They would have known it. It was very familiar. It was quoted often in their gatherings. In fact, it's one of the most copied scriptures in what we call the Old Testament. It's summarized. Even the Lord back then, back then in Deuteronomy, summarized. He said, you know, the greatest thing we can do is love Him with all our heart, soul, and mind. And so Jesus quotes that. The Hebrew word for love means this. It refers to an act of my mind and my will. No doubt it includes strong emotion, as any love would. But the distinguishing characteristic of this love is dedication. And commitment of choice. The Greek word, you know this word, it's called agape. Or agapeo. I mean, if you want to know the verb. It's the Greek equivalent. And it refers to this. The intelligent, purposeful, committed love. That is an act of my will. I am choosing today to love the Lord my God with all my heart, my soul, my strength, and my mind. And that's exactly the frame of reference. And Jesus said, you know what? If you want to summarize life, if you want to know what it's all about, love the Lord your God. Now, what I love this, when he says, with all your heart, soul, and mind, he refers, he's not, de he's not departmentalizing a person. He's not cutting them up into pieces. It, it literally means to the comprehensiveness, with all my heart, my life, who I am, love him. Love him, first and foremost. Love the Lord your God. Friend, hear me this. In, 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 in other words, my relationship with the Lord is supreme, ought to be supreme. Now, don't get me wrong. There are things in this world uh, that vie for that supremeness of my love, and it's a constant battle. But Jesus said, if you, if you want to know the truth, if you want to know what it means to be healthy, then love him with all your heart. And, and I love that because, um, that's a pun, but anyway, uh, there's other words he could have used in this moment. You know, one thing, I, I mean, I've seen it in you, personally. 
you love to serve. It's evident. By all the people that were here Wednesday night, you were serving. I mean, that little boy that got injured, y'all were serving. Y'all just cared for people, right? I mean, David's running out there in the rain, and others are running out the rain because you just want to serve people, right? I've seen it over and over again. This, this church serves others and serves them, other people in the body. And, and, and that's a beautiful characteristic of a healthy church. But Jesus said the first and foremost is your personal passionate love for him. Serving does not take precedence over loving him. It's an intimate personal relationship. Now we'll say this. Because he, he, he says in this passage, and the second's like it. And you know why? Because if you're loving the Lord with all your heart, you're going to love people. And he said, you, it, it's not just love for God, but it's love for one another. Now, what I love about this in Ephesians chapter 3, I'm not going to ask you to turn there. But the Lord laid on Paul's heart. And if you're with me in, in the book of Ephesians, there's, there was a prayer in Ephesians 1. Now there's going to be a prayer in Ephesians 3. And in that prayer, he wants us, I, you know what, just turn there, just turn there. It's okay. Just turn there. It's okay. It's Bible drill time. Turn to Ephesians. Turn to Ephesians. Because uh, I, personally, I, I love these prayers in the Scripture. I think it's something for me personally. I can pray for myself, pray for you, pray for others, pray for my family. And so in this prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, he says in verse 16, I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Holy Spirit in your inner being. Why? So that, you, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you be rooted and established in love. May have power together with all the saints. Look at this. As a church, as a body, to what? Grasp. Hang on to. Come to understand. How wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. Why make a good song? You know, there's all kind of good songs. But hold on to that. I mean, he wants us to what? Now look, he's talking to Christians. He's praying for believers. What does that tell me? We all have the capacity to grow, to develop, to mature in this love relationship with our Lord. And he's praying for that. I hope you don't just pray for your children. Pray for your spouse. Pray for one another. Pray for your friends. Pray for your church family that we would grow. And in the words there, rooted, established, hey, may have power to understand, to grasp, to hang on to, to come to realize how much God loves you. This is powerful. Why? Because everything I do hinges on my personal, intimate love relationship with my Heavenly Father. Everything. Every job I'll ever have, every, every person I'll ever meet, every, everything I'll ever experience in this life as a Christian hinges, comes forth out of my personal, intimate love relationship with my Lord. And so Paul's saying, hey, I want, I want you to come to know this. Now, what I love this, and we quote this all the time. Verse 20 and 21, we quote it all the time. In the context, it's talking about growing in our love relationship with the Lord. He says, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than we all can ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. So we quote that. To him who's able to do more than I could ever ask or imagine. What, in the context, what is he saying? God, grow us up. Empower us. Enable us. Help us to know you and your love for us. Help us to grow in this love for one another. And I love that. So anyway, the third thing is love for the lost. 
So it's not just loving the Lord. I mean, all of it flows out of that. Loving one another. To grow in that love for one another. But also to love the lost. And you say, what do you mean? Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to what? Give his life as a ransom for many. Remember in some of the messages I preached, Nicodemus, he loved him. The Samaritan woman, he loved him. I loved her. He was willing to sit down at the well and talk to her, to encounter her. Remember Zacchaeus? <laughs> Up in that tree? His love drove him to see him sitting there. Over and over again, the Lord demonstrated, modeled, helped us to understand that loving people means loving those that are lost. Love those that are not even uh, found yet. Go after the nine, go, go, leave the 99 and go after that one. Go after them. Look for them. You remember that? The disciples went into that village with the Samaritan woman and did not even realize the people around them. And yet that woman goes back in. She hears a brief testimony of many people in the village come to faith in Christ. She was overwhelmed with the love of this Messiah that she went back and began to tell people. They came out to see Jesus. They come to know Christ. And the disciples are sitting there going, good night, where did he get food from? They're so not in it in that moment. I don't know what that means to you, but that's encouraging to me. That means we all have the potential, the capacity to grow, to develop. And that's what the Lord wants of us. So we need a big dose of love. We need to sweeten. That's the sweetener in the house of the Lord. Love covers a multitude of sins. Man, just like grace. I'm so grateful that God didn't just tell us He loved us. He showed us how much He loved us. Remember that? He demonstrated His love for us on the cross. You never have to wonder how much God loves you. He loves you so much that He died in your place. And I mean that literally. Unless He dies on the cross, there is no hope for us. There is no forgiveness of sin and the assurance of heaven. So thanks be to God. Thank you, Jesus, for staying to dying in my place in your place on that cross. The fourth thing is this, the gospel. The gospel. This is essential. In other words, I've shared with you about God's grace, grace and truth and love. Now we have what we call the gospel. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And the gospel means story. What is it, the story? It's the story of Christ's death and resurrection. The reality that he died in my place. In fact, Paul went on. Listen, Paul's a very eloquent preacher, teacher in the first century. And he walked into a place and said, I just want to know Christ crucified and risen. In, in other words, he didn't want to have eloquent words. He didn't want to get all into that. But he said, look, I just want to be real simple with you. Jesus died in your place. And he rose again according to the word of God. And, and he said, look, you can come to know him personally. Jesus said, there's only one way you're going to get to heaven. Only one way. He said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. That's the gospel. Paul was never deterred by criticism. Never ashamed for any reason of the gospel. Although it was a stumbling block for Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. And it still is today. There are people today who think it's foolishness to trust Christ. Even to gather together in church. Yet Paul knew it is the only, only only way God has provided salvation for men, women, and boys and girls. There, there is no other way unto heaven. There's no other way that me and you can ever know Christ, ever know forgiveness of sin and assurance of heaven, except Christ alone. That's the gospel. I go back to, to the church in Ephesus. If you've been with me on Wednesday night, in chapter 2, he rolls out of that. And what does he do? In the first 10 verses, he describes the gospel. Why? Because he knew a healthy church is a church that is preaching, teaching, living, shouting, 
proclaiming the gospel. I don't know if any of y'all remember Avery T. Willis. He was a uh, vice president of the International Mission Board years ago. He actually passed away in 2010. Written many books, did a lot of different things, missions all over the world. But he also, he, he, in some of his books, he has some notable quotes. And, I, and the Lord just brought me to this. And I just want to share it with you. You probably have heard this. Probably. But he made a statement one time uh, years ago. And he said, I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. In other words, I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel. Paul said that. And, and Avery said the same thing. He said, I'm, I'm part of this fellowship of the unashamed. What do you mean? He says, I have the Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision's been made. I'm a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense, and my future is secure. And I'm finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, and cheap living. I no longer need prominence, prosperity, position, or promotions, or popularity. I don't have the right. The, I, don't have, I don't have to be right. I don't have to be first. I don't have to be at the top. I don't have to be recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I live by faith, lean on His presence, walk by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by the power of the Holy Spirit. My face is set. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow and my way is rough. My companions are few. My guide is reliable. My mission is clear. I can't be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, or turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, or ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, or let up until I have stayed up, stored up, and prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. Because I am a disciple of Jesus I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he'll have no problem recognizing me. You know, it's interesting when you look at the book of Ephesians, and I go back to that so many times this morning. I don't think it's coincidence that God brought us to that book to study on Wednesday night. When you look into Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, there's wonderful accolades that the Spirit of the, or the angel of the Lord has for the church at Ephesus. He talks about all their good works and things they've done, but he says, This one thing I have against you. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 says, You have forsaken your first love. How is it possible for a church built on the blood of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection, to now forsake? forsake their love for the Lord, passionate, personal love. I will submit to you, you read it in Revelation chapter 2, and he tells all these wonderful things they did. You know one thing he didn't mention? Preaching the gospel. The very thing Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The very thing that's going to change a person's life is the gospel. I don't know. Some 50 years later, they forgot that they were supposed to preach the gospel, to share the good news. Good We're about to enter into a season. We celebrate Advent. We celebrate the birth of Christ. You know, one of those songs, I don't know what it is about songs this morning. Go, y'all know it? 
It's a great song. But it's even better when it comes from the lips of those that follow Christ to a people that don't know Him. Can I tell you, that's why it's called Good News. Big dose of the gospel. We need to be a gospel. If we're going to be a healthy church, we need to live, love, preach, proclaim the gospel. Everything we do ought to drive us to share the good news of Jesus Christ to those, whomever it is that God puts in our path. Be it here, state of Alabama, United States, or around the world. doesn't matter where we are, who we are. We ought to be sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The last thing is this. Missions. In other words, we talked about grace, we talked about truth and love, and we talked about the gospel. Another essential ingredient is mission. What do I mean by that? Matthew chapter 28. Go ahead and turn there real quick. This will be the last passage, I promise. Matthew chapter 28. Again, the Lord, the Lord has given marching orders to His church, to His people. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of this age. He never once asked us to do it on our own. We've already shared, I've shared with you a message some weeks ago. We talked a good bit about the Holy Spirit of God and how God has given us. He promised, Jesus promised them, literally in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, He says, but you will receive power, power to do what? Fulfill the mission that I've called you to do. When the Holy Spirit of God comes upon you, lives within you, enables you, quickens your heart, equips you to do whatever I ask you to do, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. This is the marching orders of a healthy church. The, the mission. These are what you might call, I call them essential ingredients, kind of going with the theme of the recipe. You might say that they're values. These are things that, that we believe are important. Let me say it to you. I believe these are important. As your pastor, I would lead you in these values to place worth and usefulness and principles in these standards, to, to esteem these things, grace and truth, Love, the gospel, the mission, these things are what make a healthy church. Last thing I want to share is this. Healthy churches grow, just like healthy people grow. Healthy churches are made up of healthy believers in Christ that know who they are in Christ and live in accordance to the Word of God, who love the Lord with all their heart. They're passionate, personal, intimate walk with the Lord. And, and, and you know what? We, we share the good news. And we recognize God has put me where I am on mission. It's a purpose. You, you, might, you might be working some job right now that you're struggling with, but God knows exactly where you are and where he's placed you, and he's placed you there for a specific purpose. And part of that purpose, for sure, is sharing the good news with those around you. Gavin, if you'll come this morning, if y'all will. The recipe for a healthy church. I mean, I just kind of shared it over. I know it's a lot. A lot of scripture, a lot of different things. One thing I also believe in 
is a time to respond in a service. In other words, I, 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 I have seen, I have, I've been in so many services, but I have seen the Lord use songs, prayer time. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper here soon. I've seen God use the Lord's Supper service so many times to lead someone to Jesus Christ. So as we gather together, as we gather and worship, be it Sunday morning, Sunday night, whenever it is, I believe God wants us to invite people to respond. Why? Because part of gathering together is not just worship, but I mean, it's not just something we do and then we go home. And it's an intimate, personal walk with the Lord. And God may be speaking to my heart personally right now. I'm not talking about salvation. It may just be for clarification. It may be for empowerment. It may be for anything that God wants to talk to you about. And so we need a time to respond. But I've also seen, I've also seen, and I know some people say, man, why you got to keep doing that? Why? I mean, I've seen it when someone comes in. And they sit on the back row. And the Lord touches their heart on that moment in that service. In, in, in a way like never before. And all of a sudden they come forward and give their life to Jesus. So we need to have a time of response. So if y'all will stand with me this morning if you will. They're going to lead us in a song. I, I invite you to sing along. But more importantly I, I, I want to invite you to respond to the Lord Jesus Christ today. Father, we just give you this time. We pray, God, that you would move in our hearts. God, that you would enable us to turn to you and trust you. God, if there's anybody here today that needs to come forward and give their life to Christ, God, let them come. Well, Lord, there may be a whole lot of somebodies in here that we just need to hear from you and talk to you in this moment. So, God, as we worship, as we sing, as we pray, God, speak to our hearts today. I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you.